Welcome into the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined by fellow Southeast recruiting analyst for Rivals.com, Rob Cassidy. Rob, how you doing? I'm good. I'm, I've been better. Uh, we should we should address the fact that this is the second take of this podcast because I managed to lose the audio from the first one. So instead of having a lost week, we're uh, take two on the uh, on episode three of Commitment Issues. Well, I, I would be more I would be mad at you if I wasn't so mad at Cam Newton right now for doing whatever he did in that NFL, celebrating a touchdown. I <laughs> Listen, I am so mad at him for scoring a touchdown and then dancing afterwards, which is somehow we love when some people do it, but then when other people do it, we get really mad. So, uh, you know, I'm mad. So let's let's get right off the bat while, while I'm angry about that. Uh, let's talk about Missouri. Uh, you know, boy, what a week they had last week. We, we talked about it on our show initially. You know, all kinds of stuff going on, rumors, and then, of course, Gary Pinkle backing his players with uh, some of the racial tensions going on on campus. The president steps down, and then next thing you know, Gary Pinkle steps down, and we hear, for medical reasons, uh, our site, PowerMizzou.com, our Missouri rival site, the first to report that, and then you heard the, the typical cynical people think he was lying, and of course, then it turns out, you know, it's a serious disease, so... How did you take in all that news uh, as it was going on last week? Well, first, you know, I got to know Gary a little bit when I was on the Big 12 beat covering Kansas State. I'd see him at media days and events and stuff like that. He always treated me really well. So, you know, it was uh, I was a little bit affected by it. Uh, I liked Gary Pinkle. And, you know, like I said, it's Gary's one of those guys you don't really realize what you had there until it's gone. I don't think I ever think of him as, you know, an elite coach or a coach that, you know, made such an impact until you kind of look back on his career and think about what he did there at Mizzou. You know, he took them to heights that that program hadn't been to. He uh, has done so well, you know, a couple division championships in the SEC, which I don't think anybody thought would happen, especially this quickly. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I think kind of gets overlooked a little bit as far as, you know, great coaches go. And I think you stack his resume up against the other people's. And, you know, he's he's really had a great run there at Mizzou. And he doesn't maybe get enough credit for that. So there are other names on the board, and, and it'll be interesting to see who they replace him with. Uh, <laughs> Fuente at Memphis is on everybody's board. That guy is – it does not seem like he will be at Memphis uh, at this point next year because – Everybody's trying to hire. Everybody's on everybody's list. I'd be shocked if he returned to Memphis. Uh, I don't know if he'll land at Missouri. I think he would be a good fit at Missouri, but I don't know if he'll land there. Uh, as I mentioned before, Power Mizzou they have their hot board out. It's a free content of our uh, free content item now available on their site. I took a look at it. The guy they had at the top of the list was actually Tom Herman, the coach at Houston. Uh, we know what he he did at Ohio State. He's a guy that uh, has proven been a proven recruiter, obviously a great quarterback coach. He steps in there at Houston, takes a guy who wasn't really a quarterback, was more of an athlete, turns in him into a great quarterback, and then he gets hurt this past week, and the backup comes in and plays well. So, uh, you know, obviously quarterback's been a, a question mark for Mizzou this year. What would you think of Herman as a fit? You know, I think like they're going to want to recruit Texas. So, you know, I think that he would he would obviously check that box. But I think if you're Missouri and you're in the SEC, you're not going to be able to get the top-level talent enough of it from Texas because of the A&Ms and the Longhorns and the LSUs of the world mining that. So you have to supplement that talent, and you have to supplement that talent in Florida. Uh, I don't know if Fuente has the connections in Florida, but he does have some experience dealing with handlers. 
uh, and the type of people that you will brush up against when you start recruiting Florida in the way that this, the landscape is almost the same in Memphis. And you've said in the past that he definitely doesn't deal with those people in Memphis because he refuses to uh, to play that game and mind the local talent. But at least he knows that it's happening and knows how to approach it if he does have to supplement that Texas talent with Florida talent should he be hired by Missouri. I think that he is the better fit. Well, you mentioned that Pinkle doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think one area where you know, he really deserves the most credit is identifying and developing talent. We've seen them send guys to the NFL you know, guys like Shane Ray, players that, that uh, you know, weren't highly rated by us, guys that they brought in, developed, they identified, and uh, they've had a, a knack for doing that over the years. And I think that's where you can draw the comparisons to Fuente. Uh, he's done a great job of uh, developing two stars and three stars into a winning team, a team that beat Ole Miss uh, earlier this year at Memphis. So, you know, I think they couldn't go wrong with either one of those guys. I think if I were picking one, it would be Fuente, but... You know, I don't think any Mizzou fan would be upset if they hired Tom Herman. Um, I think they got an in-house option, too, with the defensive coordinator there and what he's done. So, boy, a lot of, lot of moving parts, and I think it will affect this year's class, especially, you know, if uh, it takes them well into December because, you know, two weeks in December we've got the dead period. All of a sudden it gets real hard for, for new coaches to recruit. Yeah, we, I mean, that's probably a good way to segue into uh, what's kind of been going on down here in the south with – Kier Thomas is the most recent guy as we record this on Tuesday night. Uh, he, Kier Thomas, the defensive lineman from Miami Central, has parted ways with Florida State, decommitted from Florida State, decommitted in quotations for two reasons. One, because it's not an actual word. It's one that losers like us somehow made up along the way. And also because it may not have been his choice. Uh, you know, and I think that a lot of fans overlook that, that when a player decommits from a school, sometimes they're kind of shown the door. And, you know, I talked to Kier a little bit after his decommitment from Florida State. And, you know, sometimes they'll try to save face these players and say, you know, it was my call. But Kier was pretty honest and to the point I asked him why he parted ways with Florida State and his answer was I don't think they wanted me anymore they just kind of stopped talking to him according to Kier uh, so that's kind of how that went down but it, you know and, and that, there's a lot of that happening around here I mean you've noted some other cases of that happening and or this is around the time where that really starts to begin to happen where coaches will try to find a way to push commitments aside and, and try to get them to to other schools and disguise it as you know a change of heart yeah I think that's something that like you said fans maybe not are as aware of as they should be there are guys every year that decommit. Thomas is an example. He probably, if he had his way, if, if you told him you could go to any school in the country, he would pick Florida State. That's why he committed so early. He's a guy that, that's been pretty loyal to them. But it was clear, you know, w w whether or not they were showing him the love, which is the buzz phrase that all the, uh, the kids like to use with us, or j maybe just not talking to him, period. You know, basically he saw the writing on the wall. He probably has someone in his life, too, that, that told him, hey, listen, you know, your spot's probably not going to be there. This is what you got to do. Uh, you know, and what, and what you and I have talked about is, you know, I, I really wish, you know, the coaching staffs would maybe be a little bit more upfront and kind of let it be known and not just uh, I let it know, be known. dwindle off the phone calls, maybe not call a guy back, maybe not not be available. Just I think it's easier, and I think I'd like to see more coaching staffs do it where they actually sit down and say, hey, listen, you know, we, we loved you when we took you. Unfortunately, we, we got some different needs now, and you're not going to fit into the mix. So I'd really like to well, see what, that what, happen. What it, is is a, what it is is a slow play, really, and I think that was probably the case here. I think that phone call would have come in eventually. Uh, maybe they were looking for a guy to replace him. 
Um, and they didn't want to call him right away and say, hey, we don't want you yet. But they wanted to kind of kind of phase him out, if that makes sense, where, you know, maybe they're not talking to him a lot. So it doesn't come as much of a surprise or he has a backup plan in place when that phone call does come. I think Kier kind of was smart enough to figure out what was happening and kind of jumped the gun and made the decision for himself before it was made for him. Uh, and so I think that's what happened there. And I think it happens a lot. And that's why it's so hard for me to, like, get involved when people are hooting and hollering about, Oh, these players commit, and then they keep looking around and taking visits. What does a commitment mean? Yada, yada, yada. Shake my fist at the young people in the world. Well, guess what? They're doing that because guess who else is doing that? Coaches. Uh, yeah, they've got a commitment. You'd think they're still not looking around at players in that position. If they can upgrade, they're going to upgrade because you know what? Their jobs are on the line. Uh, if my job was on the line, I would be prone to... Uh, maybe upgrade in talent too when I could. So, you know, I understand why it happens. I understand both sides of it. And I think everybody knows the stakes going in, man. It's not like anybody's blindsided here. At this point in time, you know what you're getting into when you're being recruited. And if you don't have a backup option lined up, you're doing it wrong. That's that's where I'm, that's where I stand on this anyway. Well, and that's up to the high school coaches and they, like you mentioned, some other mentors and stuff like that to be in the lives of some of these uh, prospects and really, you know, make sure they know what they're going through uh, when they're facing stuff like this because, you, like you said, you can be left holding the bag. We've seen some other kids. Uh, I think Vashon Joseph, uh, the Florida commit, he's looking around visiting West Virginia and stuff like that. Do you think it's a case where maybe Florida also looks at some guys like, you know, they, they took a lot of lower-ranked recruits early. Do they maybe open up a few spots and part ways with some of these guys? Yeah, I think that's probably definitely going to happen. I mean, I think it's a case of maybe not even Florida knew that Florida was going to be this good this early. Uh, now they're attracting some real buzz and some real real talented in-state kids, and it's going to get to the point where somebody's going to have to go packing. Uh, I'm not real sure who that is yet, but I think you can kind of find out if you see who's kind of looking around and visiting some schools that you wonder why that's happening suddenly. Uh, that's probably a good indication that they're not feeling so good about their situation, and maybe Vashon's one of those guys. Uh, maybe he's not, uh, but it certainly seems that way. Well, it's just, a, like I said, it's another message towards, you know, fans, casual observers, guys who follow recruiting to say, you know, like you said, why is he taking other visits? Sometimes he's taking other visits, especially if it's to a program maybe with not the same level of prestige as a, as a Florida or a Florida State. The writing's kind of on the wall, and maybe he's kind of being uh, shown the door a little bit. So uh, let's move on. Let's talk a little. Uh, let's talk a little. Greg Little, the five-star offensive tackle, was set to decide – uh, earlier in the month, I can't remember if it was last week or it was earlier this week. I think it was late last week. Everyone was expecting him uh, to go to Ole Miss. At least we were, you know, internally. A lot of times before a player commits, we were discussing it as a staff. That was the information we had. And it, it was weird because it was all set to go down, Ole Miss or Alabama, and next thing you know, the decision was delayed. So uh, I actually got a couple tweets afterwards of some, some funny photoshops and stuff like that. Like old Miss fans insinuating that it was uh, it was Hugh Freeze that caused him, to, you know, that was that was he was going to go to Alabama and Freeze talked him out of it. I actually think it was the other way around. Is that the vibe you got that it was it was going to be Old Miss and maybe Alabama talked him out? Everything I heard is that it was set to be Old Miss. Uh, I was sitting in the high school in the office with a high school coach that's pretty close to the Alabama program when this was all set to go down, and. He had heard that it was going to be Alabama. He was set, or he had heard that it was going to be Old Miss. He was set that it was going to be Old Miss, and then it got postponed. And his take was that Alabama came in and maybe made some promises there at the last minute about playing time or whatever, uh, but really just kind of dialed up the pressure on him 
to postpone the visit uh, or postpone the commitment. I think that's a little bit of what happened with Benjamin Victor, the wide receiver from Florida, who months ago was ready to commit to Florida. Uh, and then Urban Meyer showed up and, and really turned up the pressure on him. You see this a lot uh, because, you know, kids, they want to have a decision date set in stone. They want to have it set in stone and they feel like they need to keep it. And then when they don't know or when these coaches start dialing up the pressure as it gets closer, they back off of it. You see this happen two or three times a year with a high-profile recruit, I think. Yeah, and, and, and Little is, a, is an interesting guy. I think, uh, you know, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him at the Five Star Challenge over the past few years. He was at the uh, Future 50 event in Orlando. Real nice kid, real uh, real nice guy to get along with. And I, I just think, you know, he may have arbitrarily set this decision date. A lot of these kids kind of want to get it over with, and they set a date far out just thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll decide by no- November 9th. And that's just a day in their mind. And then when it starts to get closer, they might realize, well, wait a minute, I'm not ready to – to shut it down. I think his parents were involved as well, maybe telling him to wait. And I think it's smart. If you're if you're Greg Little, you know, pretty much anything could happen, you're still going to have a spot. So wait to see what happens at Alabama. Maybe Mario Cristobal leaves, you know, to go take the job at Miami. You don't want to commit to a, a coach who's not going to be there. So there's, he's not hurting himself at all by waiting. And uh, I think it's his right to do that. And like I said, a lot of these top-ranked guys, I, I would encourage them to wait, especially considering the crazy uh, coaching carousel we're about to have. Yeah, who knows who's going to be where here in the next three months. Uh, if you listen to everything you read, Fuente is going to be the head coach of every school in the country. So, <laughs> so who knows? Right, yeah. It, he's going to be uh, he's going to be cashing a lot of paychecks when he's coaching at four or five different schools. Um Kind of tying in with that, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was with some of these schools like Miami, South Carolina, taking commitments and, more importantly, issuing offers right now, uh, considering their lame duck coaching staffs. I mean, you know, some of these guys might stay, but uh, some of them also may go. What do you think about, you know, some of the kids that are committing to schools when they don't have a, a permanent head coach? You know, it's interesting. I was on the uh, Pac-12 conference call this afternoon and asking uh, USC's head coach about uh, interim head coach about that and what's it like to recruit when your future is so uncertain and he his take was you know i'm at usc it's easy uh this school sells itself and i'm thinking the whole time all right i understand what you're doing here uh and i hate to call bs on clay but it's bs um maybe for some guys usc sells itself and some positions i think if you're going to get an offensive lineman that's a four or five star offensive lineman fine it sells itself but, you know, I asked Jake Allen, who's committed to Florida, the 2017 quarterback who's committed there, if he would ever commit to an interim head coach. And he, without even hesitating, uh, threw down a hell no. I mean, if you're a quarterback, what are you going to do? You commit to an interim head coach, then bring in another guy that runs the single wing, and then all of a sudden, what? You're going to start running the option? <laughs> you know? So as much as some of these interim coaches want to think that, you know, everything is normal on the recruiting trail, and they probably don't think that. It's just coach speak, and they're very good at delivering that. Uh, it's got to be next to impossible. And I think USC, it's probably easier to recruit to a USC as an interim head coach than it is to recruit to, say, a South Carolina as an interim head coach. There's definitely levels of this thing, as the youth say. Well, and I think what what, what prospects need to be careful of, we talked about this a little bit with some uh, with, with Kier Thomas' situation, you got to make sure that if you're backing off a commitment to another school – uh, to, to look at one of these schools that recently offered, you know, you got to make sure you're going to have a spot when the new guy comes in. I think a guy that that really caught my eye this past uh, couple of weeks was Nate Johnson, a three-star wide receiver from Tennessee. Had a massive year, you know, one of, he, one of the top players in the state statistically. He's been committed to Purdue for for months. He gets an offer from Miami, backs off that commitment, and now you know I think he's changed changed some stuff on his Twitter and everything to to Hurricanes based stuff. 
The problem is what happens if a new coach comes in and doesn't even know who he is? Do, you know, do, do they keep him? And more importantly, do they keep the assistants that were the guys pushing for him? So I think that's something that guys really need to be careful of. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's going to be so weird to watch at Miami. The wide receivers coach, Baird, down there, who is so tied into Sam Bruce, who is kind of the cornerstone of that class. Uh, I think Bruce will sign with Miami unless Beard is gone. And then uh, Florida's in play, Ohio State's in play, who knows who else is in play. But as long as they maintain him, uh, I think the assistant the, the assistant coaches and who's retained there and at every school really uh, is really important to, to these recruiting classes as much as as soon as you let the head coach go, it becomes all about do you retain the right assistants. Yeah, and that's something we're going to watch closely. Another thing we're keeping our eye on, all of a sudden this week, uh, Kentucky makes a switch at quarterback headed into this weekend's game. Their season's kind of uh, not gone as planned. They started out real hot. They lost a couple of close games, almost upset Florida at the time. You know, we were thinking Florida and Kentucky might be on the same level. Now Kentucky's kind of fighting uh, just to salvage their season. They go ahead and, and make the switch to Drew Barker. Uh, a guy that was a four-star a couple years ago for us came to the five-star challenge event that we had in Chicago. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at their roster, you're looking at two different guys from the state of Kentucky and Barker and Patrick Tolls going one and two, and then their third stringer being a guy from Tennessee that didn't have a lot of offers. So the question, you know, that I kind of wanted to pose to you is how important do you think it is now, especially given – you know, the way recruiting's going for, for these coaches to make sure that they're recruiting nationally, especially at a position like quarterback, considering we see guys like Jacob Eason go from Washington State to, to Georgia. We see guys go from Texas to Oregon. But, you know, what do you think, how important do you think it is to, to do that due diligence uh, as a coaching staff? It's definitely important to do it. But if you're Kentucky, it's not like you have your pick of the litter. I mean, Kentucky's come a long way. That's fine. But, you know, I don't think even the, the biggest Kentucky fan is going to tell you that they should be able to <laughs> recruit nationally at the quarterback position. And they can if they get some overlooked prospects. I mean, is it important to, you know, overturn rocks in, in BFE South Dakota to find a kid? Sure. Uh, but do you want to waste your time doing that if you're Kentucky? It's not like you can swoop in. Let's say that there is some heralded prospect in Oregon. It's not like they can swoop in and get this guy. If he's got other West Coast Pac-12 offers, he's not going to say, you know what I want to do? I want to play football at a basketball school instead of going to Oregon. Uh, so they have to find the undervalued kids that they're going to recruit nationally. It, it's not like Kentucky has that draw yet. I mean, have they come a long way? Yeah, they're recruiting great. But eventually that has to be shown on the field or else people are going to get restless. And I think that we're, uh, we've gotten a little bit to that point where <laughs> another year of this and people might start to get a little restless. Uh, first of all, let me say, Kentucky fans, Big Blue Nation, direct your vitriol to, to Rob on Twitter at no, Cassidy underscore Rob. It's not, you know, it's not a Kentucky hatred thing, but I don't even think that, you know, even the biggest, like, big blue nation wearing the blue goggles here is going to sit sit and say, you know, Rob, you know, I think we really should be able to, to go head-to-head with Oregon for a player in their backyard, which is really all I said. Well, it was only, you know, it was only last year that, uh, you know, they were in it till the end for Damian Harris. Of course, he was a local guy, five-star running back, ended up going to Alabama, and boy, you want to talk about vitriol when when it came down to Matt Elam's ranking a couple of years ago, uh, we had him as a as a mid three star. Some other people thought he was a five star. And you want to talk about taking some heat? Oh man, the Kentucky fans were on me there. But uh, you know we'll have to see how that shakes out down the line. But I think Barker, I think it's the right move going to Barker. And I think we've seen them you know recruit nationally a little bit more. Twenty seventeen, they've got a quarterback committing Mac Jones. They, they almost had Austin Kendall, who's, who's now committed to Oklahoma, 
I thought he was going to Kentucky once he decommitted from Tennessee. Oklahoma comes in and kind of steals him, mainly because of the the move they made to bring in uh, Riley, the offensive coordinator from East Carolina. Had he not had that connection, being a North Carolina kid, I think they end up getting a guy. So I don't think Kentucky's that far away, and I think Barker could be the guy to maybe lead them into next year and kind of uh, you know set the precedent for guys like Jones to come from Florida and other players. Next year is definitely, definitely a marquee year for that program. And you mentioned Mac Jones uh, from Jacksonville Bulls, who I love. Uh, we saw him at the IMG National Championship. I think Kentucky is going to steal with that kid. Uh, I think he's the kind of kid that might go into the spring, and all of a sudden there could be four or five other offers that show up, and Kentucky's going to work to retain him. But, you know, for right now, and if they retain him, I think that they've got a kid that, that can really, really surprise some people. You know, he's tall enough. He's got a big enough arm. He plays on that same 7-on-7 seven seven team with heralded quarterback Joey Gatewood, who's a 2018 superstar with offers from, you know, everybody, Auburn, Alabama, uh, the Raiders. Uh, but it, Jones looked better than him. And obviously he's a year older, but he looked more polished. His footwork looked better. Uh, Gatewoods obviously has the b- bigger upside there just because of the build and the athleticism. But, man, Mac Jones was no slouch when we saw him at IMG, and I really like what Kentucky's getting with him. And more importantly, he thinks both of us are funny, which, uh, you know, sometimes our humor can fly over the heads of some of, of, of uh, the recruits. But old Mac can, uh, can give it out. He could take it as well. He loves to talk a little trash with us, and that, that makes those events a lot more fun, right? No, no doubt about it, man. All right, so let's get into some of the stuff we did this past week. You know, Rob and I are always busy uh, writing stuff, traveling, doing a lot of things. I wrote a, I wrote an article on uh, the 10 most suspenseful decisions. These were guys that, that really keep people guessing, and uh, you can find that on Rivals.com. I tweeted it also. One of the guys I had on the list, Nicole Hardman, a guy that, that really kind of enjoys playing the recruiting game, kind of pe- keeping people guessing. How much do you think that's going to become more the norm? Because it's it's hard for kids to conceal where they're going, but the, the players I had on that list, there's 10 guys where we really, honestly, at this point, have no clue where they're going to end up. Yeah, it's, it, it's the, I mean, it's few and far between. Uh, it's People know where they're going if they're paying attention for the most part. Uh, but, you know, there are some players that go out of their way to try to hide it. and But usually what ends up happening is they just get ratted out by the college coaches. <laughs> they can conceal it all they want, but... You know, the coaches that they're going to commit to are going to tell us <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, we may not share that with the general public because we don't want to ruin the kids' big commitment announcement, but look, man, you're getting ratted out almost every time. Uh, the only way to keep it a true secret is not to tell <laughs> not to tell anybody. Yeah, not to tell the coach until it goes down. Well, boy, that's something we might want to save for rants and recommendations as I've had uh, several scoops uh, where the kid had told me and I had it ready to roll and then the coaching staff leaks it out, which... Uh, you know, does not make me very happy. So, uh, yeah, well, it's it's you know, it's an it's an ethics thing. Like, I can understand both sides of it too. You know, coming from newspapers, when I first started covering recruiting, and people were like, "Hey, wait for the kid to announce it and don't ruin his moment." I was all, "Screw that!" <laughs> Who cares about the kid's moment? But the more that I've kind of covered recruiting, I kind of understand it. I mean, they are 17, 18 year old kids. There's no uh, there's no reason to, to to break their commitment like that if they're going to. If they want to announce it and they want to break the news, uh, I'll sit on it. Right. I'd, I'd like to see a kid. You know what I'd like to see a kid do what we haven't seen happen yet? A kid uh, tell me he's ready to commit, give me the quotes, say say he wants me to put it out, and then when the coach leaks it, for him to back off and say I'm not committing there because the coach leaked it. <laughs> yeah, no, and, you know, we're, we're probably not far off from that either. The other things that I think are going to happen eventually is – 
somebody is going to get shot over star rankings. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you. I think one of us is going down, man. I, I People are getting more and more angry over these things. Uh, coaches or handlers or parents. Uh, I, sometimes I feel unsafe. Well, I, I don't think I'm going to get shot over star rankings. I'll probably get shot over. I'll probably get shot over running my mouth on Twitter if I had to guess what was going to be my downfall. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm so, actually surprised that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it's close. We've we've had a few we've had a few threats. But uh, moving on to some of the other topics, this past Friday I was at uh, Lanier High School in the Atlanta area to watch Derek Brown play, uh, big time defensive tackle guy that was a five star for a long long stretch. Now he settled in as a four star, and. Uh, you know, you can read what I thought of his performance, you know, on the site. But, uh, you know, had an up-and-down game, and it's going to be interesting to see as we head into uh, to All-Star season what happens with him and some other guys that we've we've really seen a lot of over the years. Uh, I know you were in Alabama. How did that trip go, and uh, what was your take on, on the guys you were able to see there? Yeah, man, I got to eat at a meet-and-three, which is like this my new staple of Alabama. I, I did not – six months ago, eight months ago, I had no idea what a meet-and-three was until I went to Alabama for work for the first time, and – it's just what it sounds like. I mean, if you say it in a thick Alabama accent, it's even more fun. Uh, it's just a place where they give you a meat and three sides, and you sit in a cafeteria-looking thing, and you are just – it's as Alabama as anything you can ever imagine. Um, but, you know, I'm a man of the people. So uh, being as Yankee as I am, I always try to do it when I go down there. Uh, so I did that, and then I went to a football game and saw you know some young guys, but also Florida State commit uh, Jamal Couch, who's going to play defense at Florida State, but played both ways – for his high school team uh, in Phoenix City, and was really impressive as a wide receiver. Made one of the best catches I've seen in a couple months uh, on a touchdown grab, a diving touchdown grab, which I actually got a mine of. You can find on my Twitter or on Warchant uh, where I posted it. But, you know, that kid's impressive. Uh, that's an athletic dude that maybe needs to put on some weight before he's ready to play defense at Florida State. But they don't make they don't make, they don't make dudes like that. Uh, he's going to play linebacker there, I think. And he's he moves he moves as well as, as any linebacker there is. It'll be interesting to see if he can retain the, the athleticism well, as he adds weight. I'm curious about him, too, because he played uh, tight end at our camp in Atlanta back in the spring. And, you know, Isaac Nada was at that event. And there was a, actually Jamal Pettigrew. Uh, who was committed to LSU, another big-time tight end was there. But, you know, he wasn't that far off from those two in terms of his ability to catch and, more importantly, go up and make uh, some big-time catches. So, you know, it may be a situation where he gets to campus and he might not be able to uh, to keep him on defense if, if he can bring uh, those type of weapons to the offensive side. I, li- I like him better on offense, but I'm also I've, – I've not won a national championship. <laughs> Jimbo has. Uh, he's, he's got one on me. But uh, I like him. I've seen him a bunch, and I like him better on offense. You, you mentioned a couple other guys that kind of caught your eye, maybe some players people don't know about. Uh, who else do you see over there? Yeah, Henry Ruggs is interesting. He's he's got some offers. Some people probably know about him. He's been offered by Alabama. He's got three or four SEC offers. He's just all speed right now. You know, he ran all go routes, but he was definitely the most. He impacted the game more than anybody else. He came out on the losing side, but they don't make dudes like him in the way that very often. In the way that he is all of six three and maybe almost six four and runs very well. You know, when you see a guy that's that tall out there running what looks to be a four 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 five. Uh, he kind of gets your attention. Uh, he's not a wide receiver yet. Right now, he's just like a track athlete running down the field and catching footballs, but he's got very good hands. Uh, as soon as he wants to run other routes, and he's going to become really something. And Alabama sees that in him. I think that's why he carries that Alabama offer. And once that all comes around, I think he's the kind of kid that's one of the top wide receivers in that state, maybe, and, and he's going to carry 30 plus offers. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the things we get out. In addition to having meat and threes and paying for Andrew Bones' food. 
you know, one of the reasons we get out on the road is to, to get out and see guys that we don't know about. I mean, frankly, you could see a guy in a game who you don't even know. I mean, I wrote about three or four young guys from, from my game on Friday night that I didn't realize, you know, that they're going to be big-time guys, and you get to see them and you get to get some eyes on them, and that actually really helps the, the process for us. Yeah, can I just say that I love that this has become like the Andrew Bone ribbing hour? <laughs> Episode does not come by without somebody lobbing a grenade at Bone. We love Andrew Bone. We love everybody at Tide Sports. But, man, it just seems like an episode doesn't come or go without one of us throwing an elbow. Actually, Bone got mad at me the other night because I uh, made fun of one of his tweets. So I should be on good behavior. We do love Andrew Bone. Obviously, one of the best in the biz covers Alabama. Is really the recruiting authority when it comes to Alabama if you go to their site. I mean, uh, the fans don't really care a whole lot about what we have to say, but if Andrew Bones pipes up, uh, everybody listens. Yeah, no doubt. I could I could go over there and, and, and write something about five-star visiting Alabama and nobody would respond. Andrew Bone can go over there and talk about the meat and three that he ate at for lunch the next day, and the thread gets 40 responses, and, and people are going crazy about the meatloaf or whatever he got in Montgomery. Well, he, you know, he's an expensive date. He doesn't, when you ask Bone to pick a restaurant, I know he took you to a, a gas station. The last time I, I went out with him, we spent, uh... <laughs> so Alabama. Spent, I know he took you spent, to a gas station. Yeah, that's true. We did. <laughs> we, spent a, we spent a lot of food. So, moving on, uh, the other, the last thing I did on Sunday, actually, I went to a, a mixer, you know, which, uh... <laughs> yeah, mi- mixer in quotation marks, just like uh, decommitment in quotation marks. There's no right, such thing as a mixer in a practice facility. Well, it was at uh, NDO Performance, which is a big-time uh, facility here in the Atlanta area, just north of the city. They train a lot of big-time players, several four-stars. Even uh, your boy Isaac Nada, that's where he trains when uh, he's up here in the Atlanta area. And, uh, and another event was actually running out the facility to uh, to run their event, which was the Mixer. And uh, a lot of people, you know, don't realize that, that all these players, they all know each other because, you know, in big cities, especially like Atlanta and like Miami, even, you know, Montgomery or, or, uh, or Birmingham, the, all the best players train together usually in a big-time facility, and that's, uh, that's what this was. I had a chance to talk to a few guys, and, you know, th- those are the things that people don't realize. Behind the scenes, stuff is going on where players are bonded together. It's not just about you know, being teammates with someone or going to school with someone. A lot of these guys develop friendships away from the field, and more importantly, they're trying to develop their skills uh, in the offseason, not with their high school coaches, but with, with really with personal trainers or personal football trainers. Yeah, and there's a lot of that that goes on in the Southeast, and they do a great job at the, the one that hosted the mixer that you were at. You know, seven-on-seven seven teams, too, in the Southeast. The South Florida Express does a great job. The Florida Fire does a great job. Uh, there's a really big training facility, seven-on-seven uh, seven team called Pro Impact out of Jacksonville that trains a lot of very good kids. Uh, so, you, and a lot of times, a lot of those kids are closer with those coaches and those players than they are with the people at their high schools. Yeah, yeah, that's that is definitely something that uh, that the outsider might know as not much know as much about. So, let's talk about what we got coming up this week. Uh, no mixers on the schedule, unfortunately for me. Just uh, a little bit of football. We will be going to. Uh, I'll be going to a playoff game here in the Atlanta area. Hopefully, seeing. Uh, Peachtree Ridge, which is a, a team with uh, D'Angelo Gibbs, a 2017 five-star, and his cousin, who's a 2016 Rivals 100 guy in uh, Nigel Warrior. And uh, I know you got all kinds of playoff action down there. Where are you headed? Yeah, I'm going to uh, Lakeland High, home of the Dreadnoughts, which is the best mascot in high school sports going. It's not the Panthers or the Tigers or the Wildcats or anything generic like that. Uh, they come heavy. They come heavy with the Dreadnoughts, which is a giant battleship. Uh, but obviously James uh, James Robinson is on that team. He's a high four-star in 2017, who I think has a chance to maybe move up. I, I don't know that I've seen a better 2017 wide receiver in Florida. 
Uh, I went and saw him in person already once this season. He's dominant. Uh, they've got a great running back there. There's a lot going on. And they're playing plant. There's a lot going on in that team, too. Uh, it's, it should be interesting, and I'm sure I'll discover players that I had never heard of before that will end up having 20 offers. Yeah, we, and Lakeland is an area that doesn't get the hype that it should. Several big-time players have come out of there. Ray Lewis is from there. Uh, a couple other guys, you know, Lakeland High School, Freddie Mitchell. Of course, we all remember Fred X, uh, who, who uh, you know, was a big-time character in the NFL and actually uh, has a family restaurant there in the Lakeland area, which I would highly recommend if it's still open. Uh but, you know, to, how important is it, do you think, you know, to, to get eyes, like you said, in that area where people may overlook, even coaches overlook until sometimes late in the process? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get overlooked at Lakeland High School, but at some of the surrounding areas, yeah, late in the process, uh, definitely. Um, there are players there. There are players in that entire county. It's it, it's a real interesting area in the way that I don't know why coaches kind of tend to stay away from it. They don't. I mean, maybe because it's not as densely populated with talent as South Florida or the Jacksonville area, and it's kind of in the middle. Uh, but yeah, right, those guys seem to get late offers. Uh, not the case with James Robinson, obviously, who's already filling up with offers, but he's kind of a can't-miss kind of dude. Well, and one of the things that I, that I said, you know, when, when Clemson gets in on a wide receiver from Florida, uh, you know, they, they haven't missed a whole lot since uh, Jeff Scott and those guys have been doing it. You know, Sammy Watkins, one of those players. And uh, a few other, you know, even Mackenzie Alexander, a defensive back from Florida that, that, that they recruited heavily. And those guys are panning out. Florida's a big reason why Clemson, you know, is where they are right now, the number one team in the country. And, and for them to recruit Florida, just it doesn't seem like a natural place, you know, but uh, they've really made it their own between recruiting Atlanta, keeping the best guys in South Carolina, and then going to Florida. They've built quite an impressive roster. Clemson does better here than any out-of-state school. Uh, I actually ran the numbers on this. I don't have them in front of me. I wrote a story about it months ago. Uh, just, you know, who's done so well in Florida from the out-of-state schools over the past in the Rivals.com era. And, man, Clemson's good. I mean, they do well down here. You know, recently it's been Ray Ray Cloud. TJ Chase is committed there, who I think the world of. I think he'll be a very good wide receiver at Clemson. And, you know, they really do work in Florida, man. All right, so uh, that, that's our plan for this week. Also, I have a couple features coming up uh, that we'll be working on as well. Hopefully get those out. Now for, uh, you know, one of uh, everyone's favorite segments, rants and recommendations. Rob and I, of course, give you uh, either one rant or one recommendation for the week, sometimes both. I t- tend to uh, stick towards the rant side, but, you know, Rob, uh, I heard you have a little bit of a complaint this week surrounding... It's so much, uh, yeah, it's not so much as a complaint as it is more of an observation, Um we all know that 2015 is kind of like peak craft beer year uh, where everybody loves the craft beer. Everybody talks about craft beer. Everybody knows a little brewery that you don't know about, whatever. You know who doesn't love craft beer, Woody Womack? Old men. Oh, my word. I, yeah, I was in Auburn this weekend, uh, and I knew this. I think it stands to reason that old men hate craft beer because they just hate things like that. Uh, I was in a bar in Auburn eating lunch, and this 55, 60-year-old man, gray hair, hat, camo hat, comes up to the bar and just... This disgusted look. look looks at like this line of taps. Uh, you know, gives it the one over. It's one of these bars where the taps line the entire wall. He's looking at this thing like it's a dead dog. Gets this real serious face at the bartender and just goes, "You guys got anything normal in here?" <laughs> Man, I almost lost it. Hey, well, you know, I kind of get where he's coming from. I'm not. You know, I do like a, a good craft beer every once in a while, but I'm not one to talk about it or go, you know, overboard on how great it is. Uh, I think these craft beer people are kind of like the lower class version people that want to be wine wine people but can't really you know maybe can't really get up and muster up the palate or maybe have an immature palate so they just they turn to they turn to beer they're uh they seem like lesser versions of wine snobs to me 
Well, see, that, sh- that shot's fired by you, Rob, at uh, a sect of the uh, the population a lot of us don't know about. Actually, I uh, I hate to talk about craft beer. I don't drink any beer, or I'm not really a, an alcoholic drinker uh, of any kind. But, boy, when I go to dinner with somebody and they want to talk about beer, I just... See, who are these eyes. people, though? Like, I, don't, I guess I don't get that. Like, I don't know anybody that just wants to, like, sit down and talk about it. I know people that are, like... We'll talk about, like, I don't know what the beer words are. Like, this has a very malty whatever. I understand that, but I've never, like, sat down at dinner with somebody and they're like, you know, they try to have a conversation with me about hops. That's not something that's happened to me in my life. And I'm glad it hasn't, but it has not. You you clearly haven't gone out to eat with every member of the Rivals.com staff as uh, there's more than a few people who uh, will bend you, including even one of our former uh, coworkers, Jake Brown, the king of, uh, of draughts. As uh, <laughs> I remember one time getting into an argument over with with him over the pronunciation of Hefenweizen or something, and I was like, uh, you know, get out of here with that stuff. I mean, what a, what a what a topic to really get hung up on, and it's so interesting. I mean, so many people that their lives you know surround men and women. This is not a male. This is not just a this is not just a hipster dude problem. I mean, you know, I know plenty of women who want to talk about beer get different beers and see how they taste and i mean it's really it's an instant snoozer for me it's kind of like it's right out there with talking about uh fantasy football or uh, so, topics like that in terms of how, my interest level in uh in draft in craft beer and ipas and whatever else you want to talk about yeah man i know i said i stick to my guns here it, it's just people that want to be wine people but they have an immature palate that's really it's got to be what it is well, and let the record show that, that Rob Cassidy will indeed ask for uh, a beer list and order some weird beer, but he doesn't talk about it. So Yeah, because I don't know how. Like, My dad always told me that like nobody's actually good at fishing. Some people are just better at talking about fishing, which I think there's some truth to that. I think it's the same thing with beer. Nobody's really a beer snob. It's just that people know the right words to say, and I don't, I don't know the right beer words to say. All right, so the recommendation this week, I think uh, Rob and I are both on board for this show, Master of None, uh, the new show from Aziz Ansari. I was actually talking with our producer, Nick Kruger, about it uh, on the way uh, over here to record this today. Watched a few episodes last night. I think I'm two-thirds of the way through. Uh, terrific show, kind of in the vein of uh, mixes a little bit of Seinfeld with uh, a little bit of Louis and uh, just about a young guy living in New York City dating and uh you know, to tackle some race issues, tackle some uh, some gender issues, and really all over the place. I think it's a, a show that a lot of, uh, you know, the, the classic millennial demographic will enjoy, uh, which you and I actually both fall into that. But but I loved it, and uh, what were your thoughts on it? Man, I like it too. And, you know, I, I like Aziz. I like everything Aziz has ever done. I, I, I think it is. It, it's a lot. It, it seems to be centered in technology a lot. You get a lot of Tinder shout-outs, and I think there's an OK Cupid mention in there. It's, a, it's almost like a millennial... Dating in New York uh, in the age of in the information age is pretty much how it's set to me anyway. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's it's interesting. I've only seen the first three episodes. Probably I haven't watched it through as far as you have, but I've enjoyed what I've seen, and I'll definitely finish it. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, there, there was all kinds of talk this uh, this past week. Uh, you know, referencing Nashville, referencing Honky Tonk Central. More importantly. <laughs> there's, there's another running theme of this podcast. It's Andrew Bones, Snapchats, and Honky Tonk Central, which you are a way bigger fan of than I am. I am not. Let the record show that I, I am not a Honky Tonk Central uh, supporter. 
I let it be known. Yeah, Rob just doesn't like that they allow smoking on the balcony. I think that's what uh, what turns him off there, based on the experiences we've had there together, at least. Uh, but they actually do a breakdown of what honky well, talk. It wafts in, inside. I, that's another. That's that's for another day. <laughs> Well, uh, Aziz does a breakdown of what honky tonk actually means, which uh, which I really enjoyed. That was pretty funny. So, uh, you got any other uh, complaints or any other recommendations? Yeah, I'll recommend a podcast uh, in true Rob Cassidy fashion. I will recommend an NPR podcast uh, called Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is hosted by people that are the type of people that do attend mixers. Uh, Linda Holmes, who who runs the NPR Pop Culture Blog, Monkey C, hosts it, and she's joined by a bunch of other smart people. Uh, and it's just about what they're watching, listening to, and reading. And, you know, it's made my life better, I think. I've, I've gotten so many great television shows and great book ideas from that show. And, and, and they're always right on. Maybe it just aligns with my taste. Um, but, you know, I, I try it. I, th- I think other people would like it. And, and it's something that, that I listen to every week religiously. All right, well, that does it for this week's show. We want to wrap it up by uh, giving uh, first, you know, we're now on iTunes. We made the new and noteworthy section thanks to uh, the support we're giving, so we want to thank you guys for that. More importantly, we want to tell you, please go leave a review for us. Uh, it helps us move up the charts. We want to uh, – right now we're ranked just ahead of uh, a show called The Morning Wood with D's Nuts. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, boy. boy. <laughs> we, really, we really want to keep that edge over them, right, Rob? Yeah, no, this is great. I, I, I said, mentioned this to my friend, and I showed him the, the new and noteworthy section where we were listed next to the, the, uh, the Morning Wood with these nuts. And my buddy said, you know, if you would have just showed me this and said, hey, I host one of these podcasts, I would have put my mortgage on, I would have put my house on that you were the host of the Morning Wood with these nuts, which, you know, I guess I could see that. But alas, we need to stay in front of them. And uh, so go and, and download our podcast and not the Morning Wood, which I'm sure is a very good show. These nuts. We're not here to plug these nuts. Yeah, you no, know, it's a that's a bad show. Don't don't listen to them. Listen to us. Uh, M. Deuce, his his song is now uh, available on uh, SoundCloud. You can find the sound you hear that opens and closes this show. You can find it by searching M. Deuce, or you can go to the Commitment Issues page uh, on SoundCloud where you can listen to this podcast as well. Uh, we posted it there for you to listen to and download. A lot of people enjoy it. The full version, I uh, highly recommend. Uh, you know, this show, of course, is produced by Nick Kruger. You can find him on Twitter at Rivals Krug City. You can email the show, send us your feedback, uh, rivalspodcast at yahoo.com. Find us on Twitter at rivalspodcast. Uh, you can find me at Rivals Woody, and you can find Rob at Cassidy underscore Rob. So, a lot of promotion to do. Uh, more importantly, visit rivals.com and uh, continue to support us. We love uh, all the feedback we've gotten so far, and we uh, really enjoy having everyone listen. 